Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the semifinal of the Gold Cup, the U.S. Men's National Team, or at least whatever version of the U.S. Men's National Team, this is fall to Panama in penalties. A wild game, a, a crazy game, a, a game that was disappointing at times, a game that's probably going to take a while to unpack in order to do so. We're bringing on a, a man who's never been on the, the Yank Report before. He is Alan from Box Box Soccer. Alan, thank you for joining the channel. I mean, initial reactions after that game? Yeah, first, Sam, thank you so much for having me. It's finally nice to be on. I've seen your, your channel for whenever you start, started posting stuff on, on Reddit, actually. So to finally be on it is, is, is really, really nice and cool. And yeah, first initial feelings. Um, I mean, it was a rough game to watch. I mean, there's no, no easy way to go about it. I mean, the team looks rough they looked tired especially towards the end and i can only imagine how difficult it was to play in that san diego heat at 4 30 in the evening but yeah going to penalties two in a row you can only get so lucky so many times and you know credit to panama they were an incredibly solid team throughout the entire tournament and uh well-deserved win i think in panama i think they played uh better the entire night Oh, Panama was was fantastic, particularly their midfield, and I think we're going to get to that at some point. But uh, full disclosure, guys, I mean, we're recording this seconds after the final PKs of the game, so I didn't have an opportunity to go back and watch it a second time. Not that I probably would, honestly. I don't know if I want to watch this game again. (laughs) Uh, But that being said, uh, everything is just kind of fresh, raw emotion coming off of that game. Let's get started with the lineups. Uh, we had the U.S. started Matt Turner and Cole. Um, they had Brian Reynolds as the right back. Uh, Aaron Long gets to start at center back along with Miles Robinson with Jalen Neal with an injury and Matt Miazga just kind of being erratic all tournament long. Um, Dewan Jones starts at left back. We get that uh, midfield three that we've been seeing throughout the tournament in James Sands, uh, Mihailovic, and... Uh, Jean-Luc Abusio. And then the front three was a little bit different. Uh, we had Jesus Ferreira starting at the right wing. Then we had Brandon Vasquez in the center. And we had uh, Kate Cow on the left. Um, it, before the game, it came out that Alejandro Zendejas was not going to be available for this game due to uh, due to an injury. Uh, so thoughts on the lineup. It seemed like uh, like the best 11, or at least the 11, everybody would, has been asking for throughout the tournament maybe sans Aaron long but uh not a lot we could do about that situation uh, thoughts on initially on the lineup bet online is the number one source for all your betting needs get the latest lines and matchup reports for golf baseball basketball boxing and more bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wages including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action remember to use promo code believe for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, I think across the back line, it was probably the best that we could probably do with what we had available. I mean, you know, coin toss between uh, Miazga and Aaron Long, really. I mean, I mean, at this point, you're not really <laughs> much. There's not much of a difference between the two, in my opinion, now, especially after this match. Um, you know, Jones and Reynolds, I mean. God bless their souls again, playing 240, almost 240 minutes uh, within three days. I mean, they, you know, gave it a lot of effort. I thought Jones uh, looked solid, but again, towards most of the game, quite a questionable decisions. Brian Reynolds in this game had some pretty questionable decisions as well. I mean, through the middle, Busio, Sands, and Mihailovic, like you said, it's the typical three that we've been seeing throughout the tournament. 
Um, could have probably asked a little bit more from all, all of them, honestly. But yeah. uh, Panama in, in general just stretched out the midfield like it was Laffy Taffy. I mean, it was it was nuts seeing how they would switch it from one wing back, pull it back, and then switch it all the way to the other, and then see a whipped-in cross that could possibly be something dangerous during the game. And uh, for the front three, I mentioned this. Um, you know, a lot of people mentioned how we sh- – it would be cool to see or have um, Brandon Vasquez and Jesus Ferrer on, on the field at the same time. Some people wanted him out wide on the right. Some people wanted him maybe as more of a center attacking man. It was a 10. Um, I, I will say that it was a decision because um, I feel like the benefit of having Jesus in there first, or in this case, Brandon Vasquez in there, if he was, if he were to be playing first and there was only one striker in there, you can at least change up your style of play a little bit more. And um, you know, again, not, this is all in hindsight anyways. Like you said, we're, we're filming this minutes after the game is over. But uh, maybe I would have liked to see um, a little bit something different from the striker pool because it looked like we played strictly to Brandon Vasquez's strengths as him being an up-top guy. I mean, we saw a few opportunities whenever we would try to play a ball to him and he'd have to hold it up and then he would probably lose it or there was nobody else crashing in the box for him to feed it to. Uh, to be to be completely fair, I thought Jesus Ferreira for playing on the right wing um, played okay for it not being his normal position during um, the national team. Um, so, you know, it's it's more of a – it is what it is, and we can just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it happened. You know, it's it wasn't pretty, and, you know, it's just notes to be taken and, and to move on from this match, Sam. Yeah, I think initially for me, looking at the lineup, it was sort of similar to what you said earlier in that – there was not going to be any subs off the bench that were going to impact the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cal has been that guy throughout the tournament for us. Um, just didn't quite look the same starting mm-hmm. as he does coming off the bench in the 60th minute. Uh, Brendan Vasquez has been that super sub for us. He's starting in this game. Ferreira goes off to the wing. And honestly, I know people have been calling for Ferreira to play in that 10 spot. I thought uh, him as a midfielder is just rough whenever he has to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw it in that, that game against Canada where him – try to chase down Canadian attackers is just silly. Like, I don't know why we're doing it. Um, he's great whenever he's got the ball at his feet and he's running forward, but the other phases of the game, um, he loses a lot there. So I thought it made a lot more sense playing him in the wing as opposed to um, a- as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. But it's still, um, as you said, I-, I felt like the the, the game modes were just off and, and it was, and, and I think it's time to get into that. I, I think the first half, um, the U.S. came out early and were pressing and were really, um, I mean, in the first five minutes, we're keeping the ball back mm-hmm. against Panama. And I think that was the most threatening that the U.S. looked is whenever Panama was uh, playing the ball across their back line and back to their keeper. And the U.S. was able to press. Um, I mean, Jesus Ferreira's pressing throughout the night was just ridiculous. And there was a few moments where the U.S. was able to trap that ball on that left side. And, and the U.S. had some threatening moments off of that. But outside of that, man, whenever Panama was able to break our initial line of press and get into the midfield, there was absolutely nothing we could do. Mihailovic and Busio were dominated in that first half and really throughout the game by Godoy and and Karaskia, who is just absolutely one of my favorite players to watch in CONCACAF. That guy's absolutely electric. And if he doesn't get a big money move out of MLS sometime soon, like somebody is going to get a player with that guy. But yeah, the the once they got it past the midfield, Panama were away. Um Bahilovic and, and Busio could do nothing against Karaskia, and once he stepped past that line of pressure, um, our back line was looking exposed. Another game where where Brian Reynolds just kind of 
looked a little bit lost in the sauce out there. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really know what where to cover. Um, Panama was playing in that three-man back line with those wide wingers. So uh, Reynolds was getting stretched, not really knowing whether to stay inside or, or go to the outside. Um, and, and Panama just really took it to us throughout that first half. I mean, it was... It was one of the most uh, dominating halves we've seen against the U.S. men's national team in quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's obviously not the team, right? And uh, people will make that remark, but it's like the team that the public will see. And granted, um, it's going to leave a mark on people. Um, you know, people who are relatively aware will probably ask, you know, why aren't the main players playing or anything like that. But in the end of the, of, the, of the night, you know, it's going to be a guy wearing a U.S. men's national team badge on his chest and people will maybe see because ah, Gold Cup probably won't even get covered on ESPN anyways, uh, that they lost in a semifinal to Panama on, on, on a shootout. And yeah, again, just a, in general, a, a very rough game overall. Um, two very not so hot performances by the U.S. men's national team that, you know, and I want to like piggyback this off of something that I, I mentioned on one of my TikTok videos earlier. Um, the 2021 Gold Cup, whenever we look back at it, we really didn't go through that without ease the entire time. Oh, I no, mean, not we, at all. We probably should have lost a guitar, but we're very fortunate that the Dark Arts worked in our favor. Kellen Acosta and the whole squad making Qatar, you know, missed that PK, hit it off the crossbar. And then, you know, a late match winner. Jamaica, same thing, late match winner. Mex- Mexico final, late match winner. Not to say that, like, that squad is completely horrible, too. I mean, like, it obviously wasn't our first team either. But we're, I thought whenever we, hit the, we went to Pekas, I'm like, there's no way we're going to see us, like, crawl our way to the final again and have some weird final finish or anything like that. Um, so the fact that we lost out in this round... I almost think is about where we probably should have compared to in 2021. I mean, we, again, almost made our way to the final by fortune, by hard work, by grit, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, whether you you agree with me or not, it was a rough time for the men's team in 2021 to get to that final and win it. Granted, they won it, but I felt like it was about the same whenever we played against Canada, where it was like, man, this team is rough. It is not looking pretty. Um, you know, we were at least scoring goals uh, for the most part, but it was more so uh, desperate, like more because we were desperate too. <sighs> but yeah, yeah, it, we, we got some set piece goals in that tournament yeah. in 2021, and we just we got some some results to go our way, and of course that incredible performance by Matt Turner, yeah. who in this tournament had some great moments as well, and probably saved us uh, from the quarterfinals, um, but. Anyway, going stay, sticking with this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first half, I, I, you mentioned this earlier, and and it's something that I noticed in that first half as well. We had Kate Cal and Brandon Vasquez on the field along with Jesus Ferreira, mm-hmm. and it's three players that kind of have different strengths. Like Vasquez and Cal are players that you want to play direct to. You want to win second balls off of mm-hmm. them, um, and and we just didn't have the midfield really set up to do that. Vasquez would go up and get those second balls. But Busio and Mihailovic were just not able to outcompete uh, Gutoy or Karaskia throughout the game. I mean, every time there was a second ball, it was going to them. And, and then Ferreira, if you're going to utilize him properly, you got to play the ball to his feet and you got to feed him continually. You got to let the game flow through him. Mm-hmm. And 
the poise to get the ball out of the back on those counterattacks throughout the first half was rough. I mean, there were some sloppy touches. There was a number to go across the board. I mean, I, I um, um, Brian Reynolds for sure had some moments there where the U.S. was on the break and he just played some really, really rough passes out of the back. Um, Brandon Vasquez in the middle had some moments where attacks could have sprang and he just had some really rough touches. Um, and, and then there was a moment there where uh, Miles Robinson just continually was heading the ball to Panamanians. Throughout that first half, I mean, the U.S. was on the back foot, really lucky not to concede. Um, but we go into halftime. We, we we come out of halftime um, kind of switching it up defensively, I think going into more of a 4-4-2 shape mm-hmm. defensively as opposed to that um, that 4-3-3. So we get, we get a little bit – we're out wide and we can kind of cover those wide players a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And the game sort of starts to turn in that second half. Do you agree that we, we had – Maybe not the better of the chances, but we started to get chances and it started to kind of work. Yeah, I mean, if you look at kind of like how we were shaped and everything really from that second half, especially towards the middle and kind of towards the end, um, we were holding on to the ball a little bit more. It seems like we were kind of finally getting a small grasp of what was going on, just like a slight bit more than what it was in the first half. And yeah, I thought that chances were coming in a little bit more here and there and you know, surely we saw, you know, us making more runs in the box. And then, you know, the subs eventually came in, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about their impact here in a little bit. But I mean, I think you could tell at halftime, I remember Fox Sports's uh, broadcast, they showed pretty much all the subs warming up in the on the back left or the bottom left corner of the field. And it was like, okay, yeah, like Reynolds, he's going to have to go, um, you know, Miyazu is going to have to come in. Um and I say that they worked, but I really mean that they were just slightly better than what we already had on the field because uh, and I think eventually we did get what we needed to kind of take the game into extra time. But uh, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm still I'm still mentally trying <laughs> to uh, deal with the whole game right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and throughout the night, I mean, Panama had a few opportunities to go up against the U.S., but there were skulls called back. There was that handball that wasn't called. I mean, there was. It, it felt like throughout <laughs> the night that the U.S. was going to get away with one yeah. and actually win this game. Absolutely. Um, eventually, though, Panama finds that that opener, and it's a it's a pretty embarrassing opener where uh, the U.S.'s back line. I mean, I, be, I believe it was DeAndre Yedlin playing on uh, two or three Panamanian attackers. Uh, who get the one-on-one with Matt Turner. Mm-hmm. Matt Turner comes out and tries to stop it, uh, but he's not able to do so, and Panama is able to just easily slot one in the back of the net. And at that point, it felt for all the world like, this is over. Like This is completely embarrassing, and uh, the U.S. is going to bow out of the tournament. I mean, was that your sentiments in, in those moments? Yeah, I remember just <laughs> seeing it happen, and I was like, "What? what what's going on here? Like, how... How did that happen? I was almost caught off guard and maybe because the, the Fox Sports audio was like delayed a little bit. Maybe it wasn't at that point, but I remember I looked up and because um, I remember they were stuck in the midfield. Panama was like sort of stuck near the midfield and I saw all the space behind them and I thought, you know, that they were going to, you know, maybe put play the ball in the midfield and then play it back up. And I remember I looked down at my, at my phone just to check something really quick for a second. And the next thing I know, I see the ball go through. And 
the way none of the defenders ran back, my first initial thought was like, okay, that's going to be offside. And like you said, DeAndre Yedlin um, was like lagging behind on, on the back, right? Um, you know, to be honest, whenever I looked at the replay, I looked at that too. Miazga stepped up a lot too. And I don't know, you know, if Miazga was completely aware of where the, his back line was either, because if you step up that much and, and everyone realizes where the space is, then you have all that space to play a through ball. You know, that could have led into it too. Um, but yeah, that back line, the back line in general was not communicating, not setting the line evenly. And yeah, that that goal was just hard to, hard to take in completely. I mean, we should have done so much better on that. And I mean, again, credit to Panama. Good good first goal. They, they found the empty space. They played it and they got the goal. But it was not to be the winner. At this point in the game, the U.S. had made a bunch of changes. Uh, Jordan Morris had come on. Um, Christian Roldan had come on. DeAndre Yedlin had come on. Not exactly characters that you're expecting to save the day. And yet... Uh, in, in I believe was it the second period of extra time or the first I, I don't recall exactly which um, a ball ends up coming off of uh, Jordan Morris flicking over to Jesus Ferreira who has just a, a really really nice touch picking it out of the air and in slow motion it looked like a Disney movie oh, yeah. where the ball was just slowly trickling and then they had a close up to the goalkeeper's face and a close up to Ferreira and then they looked at the at the clock on the um at, at the top of the stadium and then back to the goal and the ball just somehow finds the back of the net. Yeah. And, and in that moment, it was like, the U.S. are going to win this game, aren't they? It's ridiculous. I mean, it, for, for Jesus Ferreira, a player who came into this tournament with, who, with just every single game, every single goal, every single uh, goal scored and chance missed, I mean, the discourse goes absolutely crazy for this guy. Mm-hmm. In that moment, just, just fantastic uh to to see him able to do that at, at a big moment for the u.s um just just a cathartic moment where i was like panama's gonna let this one slip away aren't they oh man dude i wish i shared your optimism because i was in i mean <laughs> let me let me say this whenever he scored it i i fell back i didn't fall out of my chair but i definitely leaned back and almost fell out of my chair uh well taken like from uh from jesus uh, you know for for again like you said all the grief that he gets and you know, some of it granted, some of it not. Um, I think, you know, no one can deny that, you know, he can put a ball in the back of the net depending on, like, what's going on around him. And, you know, he'll fumble some shots here and there. And I think that's, you know, expected. You know, a striker's not going to, you know, he's not Wayne Gretzky, you know, and let's be honest. He's not going to put everything in there. But, yeah, I think uh, truly just a great hit. Um, great job by Jordan Morris. Like, let's be honest, to have the uh, – just to understand might be the only thing he did in this tournament was that I, that's a th- contribution. I feel like Jordan Morris has played like five minutes of the entire tournament. Obviously a complete exaggeration, but I just remember thinking, I was like, that was a really great play by Jordan Morris. Like the, just the, I was like, someone's in the middle. I know it. I'll put it to Jesus. And by the way, like it wasn't like in the general vicinity. I mean, he put it like right towards Jesus. And uh, yeah, I mean, just- and Jesus did a good job, like he does, of kind of finding that space. Mm-hmm. And and he, they mentioned on the broadcast where he he kind of paused and he sat in that area, just anticipating that that ball would come. Yes. And sure enough, it did. Yeah. So great credit to Jesus again. And he gets uh, a lot of hate. And again, like I'll I'll share in some of that um, completely. But um, aside from the rest of the game, I'm really excited for Jesus and all that he's done the past two years. I think he's shown enough consistency in MOS and within the U S men's national team in the games that he's played. Um, 
to maybe warrant a move to Europe. And I wish him, you know, a lot of success over there to, uh, you know, maybe do something big. And speaking of Jesus, I can tell you the moment that my optimism died in this game was right at the death of the of the second overtime period where Jesus went down with that cramp because the guy had been running like or he had been chasing down players in the in the second period of overtime as if it was the fifth minute of the game. Absolutely ridiculous considering he's played, I think, every minute or just about of this tournament so far Mm -hmm. coming off another 120 minute game. Um, just the, the effort that he put in was ridiculous. And to see him go down with that cramp, uh, that was a moment where I was like, oh, man, if Jesus is going down right before penalties, this is probably a bad – can he even take a penalty? Can he even plant? Can he even swing his foot? Uh, that was kind of where where I felt like um, it, it, it might be – the tide was turning against the U.S. And sure enough, we go into penalties. Jesus misses the first one. Uh, Panama do pretty damn well in those penalties. If it wasn't for whoever that Panamanian kick uh, – penalty taker who tried to like psych out matt turner for whatever reason oh yeah um i think panama would have had a clean slate there Mm -hmm. um but credit to panama they i mean they deserve this victory um they're they're putting together a good team coming off of um a panamanian team that is changing over off of their golden generation with like blas perez and jaime pinedo and all those Mm -hmm. great uh panamanian players of the past and kind of moving into this new direction with a lot of young players and I think Karaskia is probably the, the the main rising star of the bunch, but they've got some good players there, and they're trying to put together uh, a bid for the the World Cup in 2026, where you know the U.S. and Mexico and Canada are not going to be uh, vying for qualification. So so credit to them, credit for them putting this together. Uh, but I think it, it's time to talk about a little bit of big picture stuff for for this tournament, uh, because coming into this tournament, aside from being just a weird thing to watch in the summertime. Um, there were some level of player evaluation going on in, in all this. Um, I, I think the the first one I want to talk about is, is the right back situation where coming into the tournament, I was anxious to see what Brian Reynolds was going to look like. Um, I was anxious to see if he was going to be able to take the starting spot away from DeAndre Yedlin. Um, and, and for me, for Brian Reynolds, I mean, we saw some good, especially in the games against the weaker opponents where he could play to his strengths, which is, getting up and down the touchline, running really fast, putting nice balls into the box, and kind of shy away from some of the stuff that he struggles a little bit more with, which is the possession game, the slow buildup, mm-hmm. really having to be deliberate and and, and uh, quick with your decision-making and the passing, um, and, and then defending. And I think in the games where he actually had to do those things, the game against uh, Canada, where Canada really stands right in front of you and forces you to make good, quick decisions – he struggled in that game, and in this game where he really had to defend and defend space um, and defend one-on-one, he, he kind of struggled there. Your thoughts on Brian Reynolds in this tournament and kind of where he fits in the right-back situation for the U.S. Men's National Team? Yeah, so I, I was really interested to see how Brian Reynolds would do. I think everyone um, with a little history of the U.S. Men's National Team, whether you're a casual or you're a hardcore, understands what DeAndre brings to the team leadership, um, uh, skill and quality to some extent that's obviously behind Serginho, Joe. Um, so it's really kind of a pecking fight between who's going to be, you know, that third guy behind them. Um, I've watched a couple of his games whenever he was loaned out from Roma the year before in this past year. And 
from from the year before until now, I've seen so much improvement. And I was really looking forward to see some of that quality that I saw in his games in Belgium pop out in these matches. And of course, like you said, in the first couple of games in the group stage, you, you saw that. Um, you know, I don't think he was, you know, like the absolute like rock star that, you know, maybe some other people might think he is. Um, not that I've actually seen a lot of people say that, but um, I would say I was a little underwhelmed, um, especially whenever it came to teams that had a little bit more to offer. Like you said, Canada, Panama. Um, I, I'm, I'm wanting more from Brian Reynolds still. Um, you know, I thought, you know, I, after the Canada game, he, he definitely needs another loan move or even a permanent move outside of Roma to really nail down a spot that will challenge him more. Um, because he he needs to be challenged just a bit more than what he was in Belgium. I mean, something a little bit more intense, maybe something in the Eredivisie would be a great place for him to go, like a mid-table team. But yeah, I, I was left wanting more from Brian Reynolds, and I didn't get what I was looking for. Moving over to the other, moving over to the other fullback spot on the on the left back side. I mean, left back is a position where we have Anthony Robinson, and then a whole lot of question marks after that. Um, it seems like at the moment the backup left back is probably one of Joe Scally or Serginho Dest. Uh, so having anybody step up in that position would be uh, fantastic. Was curious about the battle between John Tolkien and Dewan Jones, how that was going to play out. Um, John Tolkien. Uh, John Tolkien is kind of the younger player, the exciting player. Um, and uh, Dewan Jones is sort of a more established MLS player who I think mm-hmm. is a, a really good left back in MLS. He plays left back and right back. Um, and, and just always curious about what he looks like on the international level. Um, I, I thought Dewan Jones was solid to good for most of the uh, tournament for the U.S. Um, I, I don't think he rose up to being like a star or anything like that. But in this game and, and, and others before that, um, just a player that you can count on. I think what you would consider like a veteran presence um, didn't get beaten by the moment. Just continued to fight against uh, whatever opposition he was playing against. Uh, had the poise in the moment. Delivered the outstanding cross to ben- Brandon Vasquez in the game against Canada for that uh, that go ahead goal. Um, I thought he had a solid performance. I don't know if he's necessarily a team ready. Maybe in a pinch if you absolutely have to have someone. But that's kind of where I'm at on on Dewan Jones right now. Kind of a breaking case of emergency left back. No, yeah, I completely agree with you. I was um, not a, someone that doubted his ability completely, but to be completely fair, I haven't watched a lot of New England Revolution games compared to some other people. And um, you know, a lot of people's opinions I respect say that you know he was a good quality player, and. I think I saw that in this tournament too, that yeah, he was very solid, very good. I love the fact that he's dual dual footed and, you know, can be one of those other players that, you know, maybe down the line, if he develops to be a better player, you know, we have three players that can play right back or left back in a pinch. Um, So yeah, I was definitely pleased and I agree with all that you say. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if he is an A team player. I think there's um, actually some kind of competition that's out there, but he's also a player that, Hopefully after this season, I can see make a move and get some more reps at a a more um, maybe like faster level. The backup six has been a question Mm. mark for a long time. I don't know it's whether it's still a position of need considering the U.S. has been playing with more like this double pivot Mm. situation. So it kind of limits the necessity for that a a little bit more than uh, what we saw in the previous cycle. Um, But 
coming into this tournament, we had Aiden Morris and we had James Sands. Aiden Morris leaves early um, with with a personal issue. Uh, still kind of undisclosed what that personal issue is, but he's back uh, playing with uh, the Columbus crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Sands, however, just kind of quietly put together one of the better performances of a U.S. men's national team player in this tournament. Um, I, I thought he fought really hard in challenges, um, just did not let anybody take away anything from him in those one-on-one duels. Um, he made some really smart passes. I'm not sure that he was quite like the deep line playmaker or anything like that, but I thought for like what this team needed in this tournament, um, he he put together a, a pretty quality performance. Whenever we project to that next level with the, with the U.S. men's national team senior team, um, of course we have the MMA guys, and of course we have Gio Reyna, and now we could potentially have kind of Brendan Aronson deputizing in that position. Beyond them, we've been seeing players like Alan Sonora, um, Luca Della Torre, um, Johnny Cardoso. Uh, Luca Della Torre still, even though he, it just, he absolutely should be at this point, he still hasn't really solidified himself in that roster. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't had that, that great performance in a U.S. men's national team shirt. Um, Johnny Cardoso is this exciting young player, um, I don't know if he's quite there yet. There's a lot of rumors that he's going to be making a move to Europe soon, and that might go further to solidify his position. I, I think Alan Sonora is kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, he didn't really show it to me in this tournament. He hasn't showed yeah. it to me with the senior team. Yeah. Is is James Sands potentially a player that you would see called into the senior national team? Um, I think depending on a window, uh, I think it's a completely viable option to, to bring him into a, to a camp and see him be a part of that senior team. Um as far as full 23-man roster for, um, you know, a big game, I'd probably be a little bit more hesitant on that. Um, to be completely honest, I've seen a good bit of Johnny's games for the past year, and I, I'm pretty sold on his ability. Um, comparing that, though, to James Sands and what he's done from Rangers back into NYCFC, um, you can see that James Sands has all of the ability in the world to be a great player. It's just that he still remains to be an inconsistent player at times. And the fact that he he switches from center back to center defensive mid, I feel like he he's just one of those players that we don't know necessarily. Like, where is your position, son? Like, we we you know we just don't know. But again, he's just one of those players that can do both. Um, and I honestly love James Sands a lot. Like, I've I love the fact that you know he was a part of that NYCFC team that won uh, MLS Cup against my Portland Timbers um you know um a couple years back and the fact that he wanted to challenge himself and went to Rangers and was a part of kind of like their run in Europa and you know just didn't really have what it had in Rangers but I, I think he's definitely on the cusp of doing something to be on that first team roster definitely sitting on the bench um as far as going in as a starter definitely has obviously some <laughs> way to go on that side. Um, but I don't mean it in a negative way at all. At all. Like I, I love James Sands. I just, you know, wish he was a little bit more consistent. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I'm glad that you brought up Johnny Cardoso because I, I really like Johnny Cardoso, man. And I really thought that he had some who, nice Who doesn't love Johnny the, Soccer uh, as a nickname? Like- I got high hopes for him. I think he's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit more physical. Mm. He, he's going to take a little bit more meat in those challenges yeah. than James Sands can. Absolutely. He's kind of just a little slighter guy. And I think that I think that Johnny Cardoso is better with the ball at his feet mm. and can do some of that deep flying playmaking stuff mm-hmm. that Sands just doesn't really have in his game, if, if we're being fair. just Sands is kind of... Uh, being the the efficient kind of uh, metronome back there as opposed to really looking for the line-breaking passes. Um, but yeah, I think you're correct in, in, in stipulating that we're talking about more like a 
26-man roster than a 23-man roster. Uh, but but anyway, we moved to two players further up in the midfield. Uh, Jordi Mihailovic and Jean-Luc Abusio. Jean-Luc Abusio making his return to the Gold Cup. Um, he was in the 2021 team as uh, prior to making his big move to Italy. Uh, we see him again where he made the move to Serie A and then to Serie B. Kind of lost his place in the team. We see a new Jean-Luc Abusio. I think a better version of Jean-Luc Abusio. Um, there were some moments in this tournament that I got really excited about, but at the same time, there were a lot of moments defensively, especially in this game against Panama, where you see him against a really good midfielder um, in Karaskia and, and Godoy as well, and he's just not able to run with him. He's not able to be physical with him. He's not able to win those challenges, and if you're not able to do that, then you really, really have to give us a lot in the possession game. You really have to uh, be picking passes all over the field and, and really be uh, bringing that offensive bite if you're not going to have the defensive bite. And I just don't know if we ever really got that from Jean-Luca outside of maybe uh, some of the games against the weaker opponents. I, I, I don't know. Your thoughts on Jean-Luca? I mean, yeah, I I think we saw why he really wasn't playing that much at Serie B. And I know it's a second level in Italy, but it is a tenacious and really difficult league. I think people underestimate Serie B for, you know, actually being uh, kind of kind of difficult to play in. Uh, I think you know we saw reasons why you know Tanner Tesman probably, you know, took over that midfield spot over Bustio because especially in this game, you know, some of the midfielders from Panama they're you know, pretty good size, pretty big, very technical, um, solid midfield players, like you said, and. You know, he was being out-muscled sometimes. I mean, his tackles, his duels were just not – he wasn't winning a lot of them in a game that we needed him to. And, you know, I can see completely why Venezia dropped them because, you know, whenever you're fighting to get promoted again or trying to stay up, you know, Venezia was down so low at Serie B at one point last year. And, you know, you got to do what you have to do to survive. And, yeah, like I my, – my opinion of Busio hasn't changed at all too much. Um, I'm just going to say that they're not necessarily the most positive. I wished more from him and I wish better for him. I really do. Um, but I unfortunately don't rate Busio and I don't think Gold Cup really changed too much of my opinion um, on him. Yeah, disappointing. I think he's a better player than he was in 2021, but still not quite on that level mm-hmm. necessary to, to really be a, a factor on the senior team. Moving to Mihailovic. Uh, Mihailovic came in this tournament as a player that was really expected to uh, carry a lot of the offensive creativity for this squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we last saw Mihailovic in MLS, he was damn near a um, MVP candidate prior to him getting injured and kind of um, derailed. He moves to uh, Netherlands, not getting a ton of playing time over there. Uh, we finally get to see him back with the national team. And honestly, I, I was disappointed in Mihailovic's tournament. Um, specifically whenever we got to the Canada game, I, I thought a lot of the issues that we had um, against Canada was just um, indecisiveness, slow play, back passing. And I thought a lot of that was Mihailovic. We just never, once we got the, the, the quality of the opposition increased, we just, we didn't get what we were supposed to get out of him. Um, disappointing. Yeah. Um, I, I, he was a player coming in that was supposed to kind of uh, sure up his resume as a potential player for the senior team. And I think that he he really hurt his stock in a big way in this tournament. Your thoughts? I think uh, he would have increased his stock more if he stayed in the Netherlands for preseason and fought for a starting <laughs> you're, role you're right. and played in the Netherlands. Because um, he already lost um, his role over there in the Netherlands. And um, 
you know, again, whatever competition that he's in over there, I mean, it's pretty intense. I mean, uh, AZ is a pretty big club over there in the, in the area of Izzy. And, um, yeah, this offense did not run through Mahalovic at all. I mean, our midfield against Canada was pretty abysmal. Against Panama was pretty bad. I mean, you know, pretty much the exact same. They both weren't good for, for both both matches. Um, yeah, I'm going to echo you. Just completely disappointed, um, especially for a guy that was MLS MVP, you know, like talent, caliber, whatever you want to say, um, to, to play the way that he did. I, I hope it's not like a permanent drop in form or anything like that because we saw what he could do on an MLS field. I just want to see glimpses of that back whenever he goes back to, you know, to Holland and maybe in a game or two, just to see that that's still there and maybe hopefully work his way back up to a starting spot there, because you know that he's capable of special things, but I I definitely didn't see those special things in this tournament. Yeah. And whenever you start talking about the, the U S senior team, it's just getting so damn difficult to break into that roster. Mm-hmm. Whenever I mean, I named off a bunch of the midfielders who are in contention right now, but whenever you start thinking of guys like uh, maybe Paxson Aronson, who's kind of waiting in the wings mm-hmm. and does a lot of the same stuff that Mihailovic does. Um, I mean, Caden Clark is out there floating around somewhere that kind of slots into this role. Yep. Uh, maybe Diego Luna is kind of a player that's kind of in the in the um, in, in this sort of realm. Mm-hmm. And you start to think like. If we're gonna wait a few seasons on Mihailovic to get to that level, and we're giving these other players who have shown really well at the youth level an opportunity to catch up, is it is it ever gonna come good for Mihailovic? And I, I don't know. The the, the clock's kind of ticking right there. Uh, really devastating. Whenever he got that injury um, a few seasons ago, because it seemed like he was on the cusp for a run with the national team, maybe could have gotten into the World Cup squad, uh, but kind of derailed all that momentum for him, and now. Um, I, I'm just wondering if it's kind of too little too late uh, for Mihailovic. Let's move up to the front three. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about a player that I think was the disappointment of the tournament, and that's Alejandro Zendejas coming into this tournament. Um, Zendejas is a player that's been getting minutes with the senior national team, a player that had a really good game against, uh, gosh, I, it was one of the minnows that we played. I forgot who it was um, a, a few months back with the senior squad. But since then, just hasn't really shown much um, whenever he's gotten those starts with the senior squad coming into this Gold Cup tournament. It was expected that Zendejas was going to be the star, that he was really going to carry the offense. Um, this winger pool was not that exciting outside of Zendejas, and it was expected that he was going to get a lot of minutes. The connection between him and Ferreira or him and Vasquez was going to be the the main goal threat for the U.S. But he was a dud, and, and he wasn't just a dud against Canada. I mean, he wasn't just a dud against Jamaica. He was a dud against St. Nitz. He was uh, he was a dud against every team that we played. A, a really disappointing tournament for a player that I feel like is better than what he showed. But whenever you consider how difficult it is to get into the senior squad, how many wingers are, are around, how many wingers would actually be called in if, if we're uh, talking about actually a 23 as opposed to a 26, mm-hmm. um, Zendejas really hurt his stock in this tournament. Yeah. Um, looking back, like when you said those minnows, it was – essentially the nation league teams i mean I, i'm presuming it was probably grenada that we played where you yeah, probably yeah. you know you know grenada you know it's grenada i mean i'm just gonna like come out and you you play again the team that's in front of you completely understand that 
you have to evaluate that in my opinion and say, okay, realistically, like where are they compared to the rest of the world and say, okay, you have to be clinical. You have to be good in those positions. That's what we expect of you to be in those games. And I was happy that he was. And at that same time, mind you, he was performing like rather like well at for America whenever all that was going on. So looking at it on paper, he's doing numbers, looking at that club, he's putting numbers. I mean, he's playing well. So you look at all that and you think, okay, yeah, Zendejas is, is playing well. Let's bring him up to some uh, some more games. Um, he, I think we brought him up for the uh, Cash Classico or the Classico um, that that happened in Arizona. But, you know, it's against Mexico. It's, you know, whatever performance, it's fine. And then, like you said, he just came in and, uh, you know, what was it? Uh, a hamstring issue with, with him, I believe it was. And, and Neil had the, the groin problem. Um, yeah, I just... Very unfortunate to see. I remember people were talking about how uh, the floor is is slightly raised with Zendejas there. And um, I don't know. It feels like we're back on the drawing board, honestly, whenever it comes to uh, the winger depth. We're still looking and trying to find wingers. But it's okay because we still have three yeah. years for the World Cup and we have all the time to find some bodies to do it. And, and the thing is, Zendejas was competing with uh, Taylor Booth, really. And, and Taylor Booth is another young player for the U.S. who's being he's been really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, a player that uh, is poised for a big year with club. A, po- a player that's being linked to big moves. We, we like Taylor Booth. Uh, a player that's really exciting. Yeah, a, a player that's really exciting. Yeah. A player that could can, that could be a playmaker, can operate in different positions. Yeah, and I think Taylor Booth was a big winner in this Gold mm-hmm. Cup, considering the way that Alejandro Zendejas performed. And just like we mentioned with uh, some of the young players who are kind of waiting in the wings, I mean, you've got guys like Kevin Paredes who were currently on a Bundesliga team, mm-hmm. got minutes last season, potentially poised for a bigger season next season. Um, there, there's players that can come in and take this spot um, that Zendejas is, is competing against, whether whether uh, they were on the field in, in the Gold Cup or not. And uh, I, I feel like a, a lot of players caught a lot of ground on Zendejas in this tournament. Uh, really disappointing. I, I want to piggyback off of that really quick. Um, a comment that I see a lot whenever I do my live streams on TikTok or, or anything really is, uh, the Gold Cup doesn't matter. Um, all this stuff, it's irrelevant. It's uh, Mickey Mouse Cup now. All these other comments. Um, to that, I would say... There are so many other benefits to it. You know, it's an opportunity to bring people like this and we can see some players shine for the first time and show the potential to maybe be something. Um, I, I mentioned him just a little bit earlier um, and we talked that he wasn't playing in this game, but I thought Jalen Neal for for stepping in and really kind of stepping into the LA Galaxy first team to come into this tournament. Um, I know he had the, the two bad blunder passes uh, in the Canada game, but for the most part, I thought Jalen Neal did a great job, um, you know, and it's these type of tournaments, these type of call-ups, this one, Camp Cupcake, Cash Classico, whatever, these meaningless games that the U.S. men's national team play where people throw a tantrum over, where it's like, we throw a tantrum over, but we know we're going to watch because we're going to look at those young youth players that aren't part of the A team, and we get to judge them and be like, I expect you to perform good whenever you play with the national team. Let's see you do it you're on stage perform for us. And I love seeing that. Like it's not like the A team, like I said, but at least I get to see someone like Jalen Neal, Jones, Brian Reynolds, who honestly hasn't gotten a lot of shots at the first team to be, you know, to be completely fair um, and more and say, okay, maybe we don't have to pick you up anymore. It's like, 
you know, maybe you're worth a bench spot at one of our next games, or maybe, you know, whenever we do cash Classico next April, going into uh, Copa America, um, we'll bring you up and we'll start you in that game, or we'll make sure that you start in whatever the, the December camp or January camp. It's these types of camps and tournaments that exist where we can put those type of players in. And I'm really excited, really excited for whenever one of those windows comes up again, I really want to see Kevin. I really want to see Paxton. I really want to see a lot of those guys that were maybe a part of the U20 team get an opportunity to play with some of the better performers from this Gold Cup and see how they perform together and then make that next jump after that or see who doesn't make that next jump. I think that's what these games are all about. Even though some people don't like them, they are beneficial for us as fans and for the coaches to see who's going to make that next jump. And yeah, I think uh, we learned a lot from this tournament and uh, I'm really excited to see some of those young kids uh, come in and perform. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in 20 in this 2022 cycle, I mean, Miles Robinson for sure mm-hmm. got a big boost from the Gold yeah. Cup. Walker Zimmerman got a big boost from the Gold Cup. Kellen Acosta got a big boost from the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. And Matt Turner ended up at Arsenal. I mean, partly because of the Gold yeah. Cup. I mean, his his heroic performances there get him the opportunity to overtake Zach Steffen, which prior to the Gold Cup, nobody was expecting that to happen. Yeah. I mean, how many opportunities does a goal goalkeeper really have to overcome their opposition unless the other player gets injured it's a tournament like the gold cup where you get those opportunities matt turner sees those opportunities as zach Steffen started slipping and woke up qualifying matt turner came in and the rest is history for that player uh let's 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 move forward let's try to quickly get through some of these other names um i I guess up top let's start with brendan vasquez um brendan vasquez uh prior to the tournament made a bunch of headlines because of this um, near transfer to Borussia Mönchengladbach that ended up not happening. Uh, Cincinnati decided they wanted to keep him at, at least until uh, the end of the season. Uh, so that's potentially still on the cards. It sounds like Mönchengladbach really want the player, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Maybe they didn't offer enough money. I don't know what the situation is there. Uh, but Brendan Vasquez comes off the bench in three games in the Gold Cup, gets goals. Um, you see him show off his his heroic heading ability. His header against Canada was uh, ridiculous. I mean, just like that quintessential striker goal, powerful aerial striker. Uh, the game against Panama, I thought it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, um, I, I think he's he's really good at, at getting the balls in the air. I think he's great as a poacher in the box. I think we saw that he's he's a little bit limited with the ball at his feet. You're not really going to see him launch a lot of um, a, a lot of plays down the field. You're not going to see that crispness with the ball that you're going to see with Ferreira or even players like Balogun. I think I think Sargent might be better with the ball at his feet than him. I think Pepe might be better with the ball at his feet than it, than him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of thoughts on Brendan Vasquez and kind of where he sits after this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, love love the heroic reference, by the way. His Superman uh, <laughs> celebration is something I've I've definitely enjoyed seeing more and more often. Uh, to be quite to be quite honest, um, going into uh, the summer before. Um, a lot of hype around Brandon Vasquez, and I was unsure how I felt about him. I wanted to see more consistency from him. I wanted to see um, better first touches and just scoring more goals coming into this MLS season. He wasn't necessarily matching those numbers going into the summer. I was a little bit skeptical going into these games. You, you can see what he does. Again, relatives, you have to you know see the competition. Again, also on top of that, you can only do so much against the teams that are in front of you, but there are things that I I want him to improve on. I think we have so many strikers that are like that, that if they can just improve on one or two qualities, 
they can be really special players. I think, you know, you can look at DK and Brandon Vasquez together and be like great, like huge presences in the box can make great runs physical, but their touches let them down so much. They're great in the air. Um, just, uh, you know, like a handful to deal with. And it's just, I like Brandon a lot and I, I really wish this move, a move would work out for him. Uh, BMG would seem very ambitious. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see him finish out MLS season to see how consistent he finishes out the season as a striker, especially for Cincinnati, who are having again a terrific season. But let me some Brandon. And I just I just want to see more consistency of him before uh, anything comes out of him. Yeah, I think it's a, he's going to be a situational player. I think you consider somebody like Jordan Pifak and sort of what he brings to the table where he's not going to be great with the ball at his feet. He's not going to press anybody, but <laughs> a ball in the air, he's going to go up there and win it. And yeah. he's been able to be pretty successful and get paid a ton of money as a professional soccer mm-hmm. player in the Bundesliga because of that ability. Mm-hmm. And if you put Brandon Vasquez in a similar type of situation where he's going to be able to go up there and win the win headers, win balls for maybe a speedy striker who's playing off of him or whatever that system is, he can he definitely has the ability to go out there and execute that. I don't think that he's going to be playing for Barcelona anytime soon with any type of like ticky taco <laughs> running through him. Uh, but but there's definitely a situation where I think Brandon Vasquez be, can be very successful. Let's move on to uh, the lightning rod of the tournament, the lightning rod of the U.S. <laughs> men's national team discourse right now. Jesus Ferreira uh, comes into the tournament, uh, it's the the back to back hat trick games. I thought he had a pretty good game against Jamaica. Uh, created a lot of opportunities for other players in that game. Mm-hmm. That, that pass that he set up for Alison Norris chance was ridiculous mm-hmm. the layoff to uh jordan morrison in that game was pretty good too um he gets the back-to-back hat tricks doesn't score against canada uh but comes into this game he gets the ridiculous goal and kind of runs his butt, butt off um uh, coming into this tournament i actually did a podcast where i got interviewed by uh one of the canadian uh podcasts and they kind of asked me uh what i thought wh- who i thought had a lot to gain in this tournament and, and my answer was jesus ferreira and what I thought was going to happen was not necessarily that Jesus was going to have a good tournament and suddenly be on the U.S. striker depth chart for like overcoming Sargent and Pepe or, or Balogun or anybody like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that, that was possible off of this tournament. But the discourse around this player has been like he can't walk and chew gum, that he's just like a terrible soccer player and he, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a lot better than that. He, he deserves a lot more respect than he actually gets. And I, I felt like this was going to be an opportunity where he's going to be able to come out and be the best attacking player and that the offense was going to run through Jesus and opinions were going to be changed coming out of this tournament. Not saying that he deserves to be in the senior team, that he's better than Sargent or Pepe or anybody like that, but that opinions are going to be changed, that he's he's a better player than people give him credit for. He's a really exciting prospect in MLS, that he can definitely play in Europe somewhere and that the story's not over for Jesus Ferreira. The 2022 cycle was not the beginning of it and the end of this, this player's story. There's more to be written there. Your thoughts on Jesus Ferreira following this tournament? He, he's still so young. I, I, people forget, like, maybe because he's been around for a little bit. You know, I remember seeing a, a video of uh, one of Uliana's, uh goals in a PK in a friendly, and it was back wearing whenever they were wearing the the white shirts with like the red and blue like stripes like he's been playing with the senior team since whenever that year was i don't even remember maybe 2018 2019 perhaps um so yeah i think jesus he was one of those guys that you know there's always going to be someone that we look at and uh we're going to 
be judgmental. And a lot of the times it's going to be the striker. We want our striker to score goals. If he does, if he doesn't score the goals or if he doesn't score an opportunity where he should have, we're going to be, you know, pointing at him and being like, why didn't you score? I think that's um, completely fair. I think that comes with the position. You have to be able to score. Um, But yeah, I completely agree too. I think that um, the hate that he gets is uh, pretty extreme. I would say that's pretty extreme. I mean, he had a pretty great season last year. He's having a very solid season this year. I mean, he's scoring goals with the international team. I mean, people are going to hate who they're going to hate um, as much as that kind of like sucks to say. But he's done pretty much anything and everything that you would want him to do to say, hey, like, you're doing good for yourself. Maybe you should go to Europe. And I, it's about time he does. I, I For me personally, I don't want him to wait. I want him to go right now, try to get into a preseason and work your way in with the club because I feel like if he goes to a club, and I mean this, like, as in I, if, I, if I was his manager or his whatever, his to take care of him, I'd be like, yeah, dude, go right now. If you wait until December for the January window to come in, and if you have a, a move lined up, you're going into a team that's going to be desperate need for a striker maybe. Like we are in a position where we shouldn't be and we need more goals, so we need you. Or we are in a spot where like we're desperate, like in, in a relegation fight. And if you don't do the job there, everyone's going to look at you as a failure. One is if he comes in right now, in my opinion, it's like, okay, like take your time, get acclimated to it and build your way in. And I think that would probably be best for him if he fit into a team that has the quality that he needs to be successful and that he isn't necessarily rushed into a spot where he has to be the number one dude, you know? And I wish nothing for this, but the success for Jesus. Um, You know, there are a lot of times where I, grunt and just like rub my head on some of the things that he does on the field but again that's normal for a striker and i think some of the hate that he gets is normal for a striker but sometimes it does get <laughs> over the top though i will say i do love the uh, pirates of the caribbean uh meme <laughs> that's gone around great stuff probably the best thing to come out of this tournament uh, yeah. yeah i think I, as i said with brandon vasquez is there there's a there's a role for him to play somewhere in europe i think the same thing could be said for jesus ferreira jesus ferreira is not a one-size-fits-all type striker there's going to be a specific type of situation that he has to go into. You're going to be looking for a team that um, had maintains possession a lot and is going to be looking to play through a striker centrally. Jesus needs to have the ball. He needs to have the rhythm. He needs to be making passes. Um, he needs to be involved a lot. He's not going to be a guy that's going to get you a goal against the run of play. He's not going to probably not going to be a guy that's going to go to the championship and uh, kind of fight it out in the box for 90 Jesus minutes. Jesus Ferreira to whole city. And, we, we called it right here. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not really what you're looking no, for there. I think not. that there's, it's got to be a specific type of opportunity. And then it's got to be a, a team that can afford um, a big transfer fee because FC Dallas is definitely going to need it. And then a team that can afford uh, to pay Jesus Ferreira because he's making a, a pretty solid amount of money mm-hmm. for FC Dallas as a DP. So it's just, it's just got to be the right thing. I think my big winner of the tournament was Jesus Ferreira for all those reasons. But I think my runner-up is going to be Jalen Neal. I, I thought Jalen Neal was really impressive. A player that came into the tournament without a lot of fanfare or anything like that. He was kind of a surprise to be on the roster. Uh, but he comes in and he shows what we've seen from this next generation of, of center backs, which is poise on the ball, the ability to make line-breaking passes. Um, yeah, I think that Canada game was pretty tough. As I said before with Brian Reynolds, it was one of those games where I think a lot of young players do a lot better in situations where they're reacting to the game and they're able to play in that game, whereas Canada stops, slows everything down, and makes you think. 
makes you think, okay, where's this next ball going to go? Where's the pressure? What are they trying to make me do right now? Where's the trap at? Um, and then if you make a mistake, they're pouncing on you. And I think that's a that's a situation that's tough for a young player. And I think um, Jalen got exposed in that situation. But there's a there's a ton of upside for that player. Uh, give me your two top players of the tournament. Yeah, I would definitely have to say my own would be uh, Juwan Jones. Uh, you know, I think the mistake, or correct me if I was wrong, but that first game against Jamaica didn't didn't Tolkien start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tolkien started. Yeah, so obviously, you know, Jamaica is a difficult team. I mean, they're playing right now in the semifinal against Mexico. Um, so Tolkien, you know, probably had a hard time, but I think Dewan Jones, um, you know, sliding in for the rest of the tournament did spectacular. Um, you know, we're going to talk about that beautiful ball that he dropped on for Brandon Vasquez's head to, to score that goal against Canada. And uh, yeah, I'm also going to go with, uh, with Jalen Neal. Um, you know, again, I said it earlier uh, in the show that he pretty much came from LA galaxy Two, worked his way up through that um, became a standout and pretty much got inserted into LA galaxy's first team and has performed relatively well for them. And again, for being 19 still, that's pretty impressive. Uh, so I have nothing but love for for Jalen Neal and everything that he's done. And for uh, Dewan Jones, uh, if I could do a third, I would say Matt Turner, undisputed number one. Um, and, that's, <laughs> and that is right hand up. I, I was not sold on Matt Turner. I was a Stefan, Stefan Stan the entire time. So I will concede completely. And not that I had to have this tournament to do it, but like, you know, what was it? 14, out of, 14 out of 28 PKs, man. That is insane. Or, or whatever it is. 14 out of 20. The passing on Matt Turner, the line breaking passing, oh the boys, the handles. Yeah. Where Where is this coming I know. from? That's I, all you I, need. I, One season at Arsenal is all you need, apparently. Incredible. All right. So that 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 wraps it up for the 2020, what year is this? 2023 yeah. Gold Cup. Uh, what a wild and wonderful ride it mm. was. Good luck to uh, everybody in the final now. Um, I hope Mexico loses. Uh, that being said, Alan, thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell people where they can find your content? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm mainly a TikToker, so if uh, you or your kids or anyone wants some good uh, PG, PG-13 fun on TikTok, you can find me at box to box soccer on TikTok or uh, B2B uh, underscore soccer on Twitter and my link tree is on those you can follow me on my other socials there as well and yeah i would really appreciate are you on, you're on threads right i'm on threads but only whenever uh twitter's down will i uh go over there but you know we're we're slowly building that up slowly but surely Slow, slowly but surely yeah. yeah thank you so much man i appreciate it guys thank you so much for watching if you want the yank report in podcast form you can get it where anywhere you get your podcast thank you for liking subscribing thank you for becoming a member shout out to all my tier two members Manuel Olivetis, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, Dan McVeigh, Mike Irish, Aaron M, expats everywhere, and Aaron Silva. For Allen and Box to Box, my name is Sam, and this has been the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.